Homily for the 19th Sunday in Ordinary Time, Sunday, August 8th, 2021. The following homily is being delivered at St. Philip Neri Parish in Napoleon, North Dakota, on the occasion of my alumni high school reunion. Father Daco, the retired priest in residence at St. Mary's, will be celebrating the weekend masses at the parish. It's good to be back home to celebrate my 30th anniversary of graduation from Napoleon High School. Initially, I was not very interested in the reunion, but after experiencing so many things canceled or put on hold during the pandemic, I decided that I would regret it if I didn't take part in this weekend. I want to begin by thanking your pastor, Father John Cazito, for his hospitality. We studied together briefly in the seminary in Ohio. He is older than me, despite my being ordained three years before him, so I need to respect my elders. When I first met John, I thought he was one of the nicest people I had ever met. That's still true today. I am delighted that Bishop has sent you here, Father, as the pastor of my home parish. I also want to express on behalf of my family our gratitude for the prayers and concern you extended to us when my dad, Elvin, passed away last fall. The time frame was in the midst of the severest wave of the virus in Logan County, and many who wanted to join us in person for his funeral mass were unable to do so. But your prayers have been a real blessing and consolation. By the way, my mom is doing well. Since last December, her sister Agatha has lived in the apartment next to hers at Primrose in Bismarck. A cousin of ours calls them the Golden Girls. Most of you will remember that in the first decades of this church building, a sign in big metal letters was fastened to the wall behind me, next to the tabernacle. It read, The Bread of Life. I've been reminded of that in recent weeks as we hear excerpts of John chapter 6 in the Gospel readings at Sunday Mass. The way I see it, there are two main approaches to speaking about the Holy Eucharist, an appeal to the head and an appeal to the heart. I'm going to spend a few moments addressing both. Before sharing some personal memories and reflections, I'd like to provide a little theology on what the Church teaches about the Eucharist with some philosophy thrown in. Now, before that begins to sound intimidating, let me reassure you, this is Theology 101. The bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. I dare say that most of us would have been inclined to murmur like the crowd did that day if we were hearing this for the very first time. How on earth is that possible? He can give us his flesh to eat. Well, I like to explain it this way. We can speak of any object in terms of its substance, what it is, and its characteristics. This is a pulpit, but we can measure all sorts of properties. That is, it's made of wood, it's so many inches tall and wide, etc. Almost all the time when an object changes, its substance remains the same. A man goes bald, or puts on weight, for example, but he's still the same guy. 
Sometimes changes affect both the substance and those characteristics. A forest fire destroys a tree and turns the wood and leaves into ash. So what happens at Mass? The substance of the bread and wine changes into the body and blood of Jesus, although the species retain their original taste, smell, etc. That's why a microscope cannot tell us anything about what happens in this sacrament. If the precious blood looked and smelled like human blood, Jesus knew that would be gruesome for us. Only rarely have there been verified instances of such Eucharistic miracles in the Church's history. In our normal experience, that reality is hidden from our senses. The miracle that occurs on the altars of Catholic churches, chapels, and shrines all over the world, from the most ornate cathedrals to the smallest mud huts, is because of Christ's working through the hands and words of the priest, not just John Cazito or James Gross's initiative. I once heard someone put it this way, for us to believe what the Church teaches about the Eucharist, we must be either correct or insane. There is no other option. Is the Church made up of flawed people in need of continuing conversion? Certainly she is, and always has been. Are there individuals in the Church who make decisions with which we may disagree? There's no doubt. But who else is offering what Jesus offered us in sacred scripture? Where else do I receive the very body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, my Savior? All the glitz and glamour of an interdenominational megachurch, all the beauty of a lake or campground, cannot take the place of our daily bread in Holy Communion. For a six-week period in early 2020, we priests in this diocese were mandated to offer Mass privately with no congregation present. Although we ourselves were still able to receive the body and blood of the Lord, it was very hard for us because we couldn't break the rules or just have Mass in people's homes, for example. I often thought to myself that it would have been even more difficult as a layman, unable to receive Holy Communion at that time. The measures we took of live streaming and spiritual communion were a paltry consolation and could not suffice long term. That's why it was so important to return to praying Mass in person with certain restrictions in place and coming back to the Lord's table. I pray that more and more of our fellow Catholics come to appreciate this unique gift and not take it for granted. In my parish in Grand Forks, anyway, we have our work cut out for us in inviting those who have lapsed in the practice of their faith to stoke that fire and renew their relationship with Christ. Now, as for an appeal to the heart, I've been thinking back to our class's first communion, early in the summer of 1980. It came at the end of an intensive week of summer school, with several Sisters of St. Francis from Hankinson leading us. Some of you will remember the perennial leader of that group, Sister Fidelis Nieberler, by the fourth grade, I was as tall as her. She passed away in early 2013 at the age of 106. Sister Fidelis was born and raised in the heart of Bavaria and came to America in her 20s, shortly after Hitler came to power.
Here's an interesting side note. Nine of the 15 siblings in that family entered into a religious vocation. Something special was going on in that household. When I saw Sister after my ordination, I loved to tell her that she set me on the right path as a little kid. She was always so tickled by that. In order to be presentable for my first communion, this growing boy needed a suit. To find one that fit just right, Mom and I had to go to three stores in Bismarck, Sears, J.C. Penney, and Montgomery Ward. That meant driving all the way across town, visiting both Kirkwood and Gateway Malls. Father Mental, God rest his soul, gave us our first Holy Communion by intinction, dipping the host into a small chalice with the precious blood. That may well have been the only time I received communion under both forms until I entered the seminary. That made it all the more memorable for me. And then after the Mass and the pictures with my class, all sorts of people came up to me and gave me little cash gifts like 25 or 50 cents. That wasn't just the grandmas and grandpas or my godparents, but plenty of others as well. I was holding a small treasure of money in my hands, but I came to learn that the best gift by far was one I would be called to receive worthily every Sunday for the rest of my life. Numerous young people from here have been on at least one search weekend, a youth and young adult retreat program offered in our diocese. One of the main sharings that takes place on the weekend, they prefer not to call them talks because it's a personal witness and not a dry lecture, is entitled, What the Eucharist Means to Me. Every Catholic should be able to speak to that topic personally and confidently, not just in a second-hand way, such as a legacy their relatives lived up to once upon a time. Every one of us should have something affirmative and bold to say about what the Eucharist means to us and where we would be without it. I'd like to wrap up with a brief analogy someone told me many years ago. Let's say you're a parent and someone trustworthy comes up to you and says, I will give each member of your household, from the kiddos at the age of reason and older, a thousand dollars a week. If they attend Mass and receive communion in a state of grace at Sunday Mass and Holy Days of Obligation. How many of you would say, that's a heck of a deal? There's the college fund taken care of, or any medical emergencies. What a load that takes off my mind. The bread of life is not something we can deposit at the bank, but its value applies to this life and to the next. No worldly currency can do the same. One of the tragedies of modern times is how willingly people treat the perishable as though it were priceless, and vice versa. We need not live in such ignorance. Growing in virtue, while being simple, is not an easy thing. The evil one works on us and sows confusion in our hearts. But I thank God that I received a good foundation here in my spiritual home, and that early and often I learned about how Jesus is my bread of life. Amen.